Robin Black. Hey, what's happening? Hey, how's it going, Robin? This is Joe at the Art Fight Podcast. I'm here with Brian. We're so glad to have you on for the second time. Yeah, man, I'm stoked. Yeah, we um, every time we have someone on for the second time, we say that that makes you officially a friend of the show. So welcome to our circle of friends, Robin. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to say something nice and I insulted the man, Brian. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. You just doubled what I already knew. I appreciate you uh, uh, taking the time to talk to us. We've, we've been trying to get this set up for a little while now, but um, I know your your schedule has been really crazy. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your recent adventures to get us started? Man, yeah, it's. It's been cool, you know, like I've kind of started to see my, I don't even think it's a job anymore. I think I just, my day to day, I study martial arts. I'm trying to like learn how to think about it in better ways. I'm trying to learn how to talk about it in better ways. I'm trying to learn how to use the moments that we study uh, in combat and moving our bodies and learning about how to fight and, and learning about ourselves and the philosophies that we learn. I'm trying to use it to kind of make, to learn lessons about the world at large, the world around us. That's what I'm doing. It's crazy. And to make a living doing that, you, um, you know, somebody's got to pay you to do that. And fortunately, <laughs> the way I get paid to do that is talk about it in television or on digitally or in environments where people, you know, put on shows around fighting. And fortunately, I love doing that. Fortunately, you know, it's, it's, this isn't a, a, a tough thing. This isn't a, it's a, something I wish I didn't have to do. It's something I love doing. So, mm-hmm. But at the root of it, I study martial arts. And now I get paid by doing it in an environment where people fight. So I've been doing a lot of stuff around Bellator through DAZN and right. Bellator themselves. I commentated that way over in, in uh, Myanmar recently. Uh, I've been commentating bare knuckle boxing off and on in London. And uh, I um, analyzed the UFC in Canada on Sports Center here uh-huh. after big UFC events. And this like commentary gigs, a couple different fight pass shows. It's just, it's been really fucking cool. Like, um, you know, mostly I want to study fighting and I want to study language and I want to figure out how to, how to learn things from that and share that. And, uh-huh. and I do that a lot on my own platforms, but people now employ me gainfully to do that as well. Right. So it's been cool. It's, it's been really cool. That's great, man. You know, I, I think one of the things that, you know, in terms of like, as I'm watching, uh, you know, the various events that are coming and going and whatnot, the place where I've seen you popping up the most, besides the social media, you know, interactions and things that I, you know, see with you on Twitter and Instagram and things. Uh, but in terms of these gigs that you've been doing, um, you've really brought so much, um, just so much life to the Bellator broadcast. And I've really appreciated appreciated it. And one of the things that like blew my mind a few weeks back was when you interviewed uh, Rory McDonald and um, Lima right before their big rematch. And you actually had those guys both sitting at the table together and you were asking them like questions that I would have been scared to ask them alone. And you were like asking these guys like before this massive fight is about to happen for a million dollar prize. And I have no idea how you did that. So could you like walk me through a little bit of what that was like? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was cool, man. Like, so first of all, it's 
at the root. First of all, thank you. That's very kind. I'm, I'm loving doing it. And Bellator, I've always been a fan. I shouldn't say that. You know, I, I once was vaguely familiar many years ago, and then I was a fan. And then I thought it was a cool second best. And then I, and over time, I've started to realize, wait a second, we kind of get shaped by recency bias and frequency bias and television into thinking somehow these fighters are second best or, you know, the this, this show is second best or these people are second tier. Like the average person will be like, you know, hey, uh, AJ McKean's great, but he should be in the UFC. It's like, that's just a television sports league. It has no bearing on these on these martial artists and these athletes and right. the work that you can do. So I've loved it. I've been lo- getting up close. There's great, like young, talented, special martial artists. They're looking at the world differently. The show's different. So I've, been, I've really enjoyed it. But, but so, and then, to sit there with those guys, even as you're talking about it, I'm thinking, yeah, that was cool, right? <laughs> nobody was filming it. Nobody was filming it, and nobody got to see it. I want people to see it because I know Steve Cool Catholic. But even though nobody got to see it, for me, like an obsessed martial, martial arts obsessive who loves these guys and their work, right. to just be able to sit there, that's where the root of that starts. Is I'm like, holy shit, what could I ask these guys? Then you also tie it together with, I've known them now for a long time. And over time, and this is something very special to me. Like, I've somehow earned the respect of a lot of these people. You know, mm-hmm. fucking Nate, Nick Diaz walked up to me in a crowd of, quote, VIPs. I wasn't. I was working. But I was just <laughs> texting with people. And he fucking walked past all of them to bend over and shake my hand and thank me for the work I'm doing. Oh, that's Nick awesome. fucking Diaz the other day. That's and, awesome, You know, man. I'm getting messages from world champions and stuff. It's really amazing. But it's, and, I'm, and I'm maybe partly I'm bragging, but, but mostly I'm just like, marveling at it. I'm just a kid who loves martial arts at the root. So, but over time I've earned, you know, my last fight, Rory McDonald was cage side. He was there. He was coming up in the UFC. I fought on this immediately after his good friend Mandel Mallow, who fought um, just recently as well. So Mandel's first fight and my last fight were on the same card. Rory was next, it was by the cage. He came over to, t- to me to talk to me about how, you know, I won and it went well and he talked to me about it. Like, I have a Relations. I've been in the gym with these guys. You know, I've, I've and they watched me get submitted and do okay in a moment and work hard and work through pain. And so that, that changes it. And then uh, Lima, I've studied him up close. This guy's been a brilliant martial artist for, you know, a decade and a half. And he's maybe not always got the respect he's deserved as one of the greatest welterweights to ever fight. And so over time, I've done, I've analyzed his work on a high level. He, we've shared martial arts in the same room and you earn their respect. And you don't think about it at the time. At the time, it's just like, wow, cool. I get to be keep in with these martial artists and they view me as one of them because I fought nine times and, and got kicked in the head in front of my parents, you know, <laughs> like all that, like all of them did, right? And so over time, you earn a, a, a level of respect that you're not even thinking about. To me, I'm just like, I can totally ask these guys this. Yeah. That's just Doug and Rory. I know these guys. Yeah. I, I can ask them that absolutely. And so all the time it just becomes normal. And the very best things are things that just start to happen with time, things that become real, things that take shape through the hours and the relationships and the learning and the fear and the failure. This is how the real things happen. And so it was cool. It was really cool. Yeah. These are two of the baddest men in the world. And then all of the feedback that I got 
from people were, wow, these two killers are so humble and they're so polite and there's no bullshit. There's no nonsense and nobody's posturing. These are just two brilliant artists. And people were blown away by that. To me, that's not weird at all. But in the environment that we're living in right now, that's very rare. And so it was really cool. Like things like that have been, I, I'm very thankful. Like I'm, I'm at a really, really great point in my own life right now where I'm thrilled by these things that I'm doing. I know I'm getting better every day. I know I'm going to look back at this period and realize I knew very little and that excites me. Um, and that no, lets me know I'm still going to grow a lot and I'm having fun. And, you know, it's like, I'm super thankful. I'm really grateful yeah. right now. Yeah. Hey, so this is Brian, by the way, what's up? How you doing, hey, sir? Buddy. Hey, so, Good, man. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I can't help but think about, you know, because obviously we talk to a lot of artists, a lot of different types of creatives uh, across all mediums and forms, physical and otherwise. Right. And uh, and we just enjoy sort of exploring all the commonalities that lie therein. And I can't help but think about where you're sitting right now and in, in this, you know, uh, you know, amazing sort of role that's very earned and, and very respected. Uh, and, you know, revered, right, by yourself and by others, you know, I, I think that it doesn't escape me that if I think about things like, for example, uh, like art movement uh, in the mid, like in the 1950s, like abstract expressionism, right? What happened, yeah. what happened there was, you know, Robert Motherwell, this sort of one artist among many of the time that were deviating and doing something entirely new. He wrote this manifesto that sort of gave birth to this new sort of form and this new uh, terminology around that, that form uh, of art. And it really has uh, sent echoes through all the way to today, whereas, you know, before that, there was people just painting in very straight lines and surrealist traditions or, you know, things that were very known and very communicated and over-communicated and the vocabulary had become uh, very, very, I think, limiting uh, whether people realized it or not in the same way that you sort of addressed the uh, the language of sports broadcasting and and sort of the the limitations of language and how they've imposed uh, a, a very limited scope of thinking about martial arts. And so I, I feel like that you're sort of one of these figures that has been able to kind of transcend something in the midst of a very special time in a very special era and has taken a great sense of responsibility about that. And, and I, I guess I'm curious about what, uh, in terms of, there's a lot of deconstruction that you do with respect to yeah. language, but I suppose I wonder in the spirit of something like Robert Motherwell in the 1950s with abstract expressionist art, he eventually sort of saw the need to kind of codify a new language. And I'm wondering uh, outside of uh, the legendary Bink, right? Which is uh, <laughs> yeah. like, like mic drop of all new language. Right. But, um, <laughs> but I guess I'm just curious, like it, if you feel like you might be looking at a point in your, your, career perspective and in your philosophical perspective over time here, do you feel like that you might move towards uh, sort of, as opposed to sort of rejecting language and always trying to deconstruct it, is there a point where you go, okay, now we need to start putting things together in a different way and perhaps put a, a new narrative together that's, that suits the wider view that you purvey? Well, thank you. And, and I'm doing that now. Like, that is where I am. It is the biggest challenge. It receives, it's the biggest joy, but it's also the biggest challenge because everybody that consumes things around you are not consuming it in the same way or at the same level or at the same point or with the same um, connection to it. So 
to Frankie Edgar, he'll hear language that I'm using to describe the relationship between targets and, and weapons and the relationship between how the brain is interpreting movements and so forth, or, you know, uh, higher level coaches that reach out to me daily or, or these people, and they'll be like, what? They're very, very excited by this kind of exploration using different language. But the average person who really likes to hear somebody say it's a striker versus grappler, you know, a matchup in a, uh, and the if the striker can keep it standing, he will land the big punches. But if the grappler can get it to the ground, like they're comfortable in that. And what happens, just like you were saying, where the language starts to feel weird, what it is, is it becomes ritualistic. You're no longer discussing anything. You are going through the ritual of saying the things that people say when they see a particular event. So analysis stops when any time somebody hits somebody, you say, oh, my God, it's a big right hand. You're dishing out some ground and pound. It's all over. Right. There's no more analysis at this point. All we're doing is saying the thing that you say when that thing happens, right? And then the Twitter does it, and then the average person does it, and it starts to become so normal. That when I, somebody puts up a video and they show something, the average person says, beautiful head movement and unbelievable distance control. Because the ritual has become, when people are watching commentary on television, complement the wider concept at play. That's just what we do. It's like, oh, beautiful low kick. Oh, incredible defense. Fantastic takedown. And we just start to do that. So when it started to happen for me years ago was I got frustrated by this because you, what, what's going on is you, the, every, everything becomes more narrow. So currently, if we walk down the street, we can see anything. We can breathe anything. We can feel anything. We can experience anything. And if we're open to it, we can discuss anything. But over time, what we do is there's these uh, paradigms that become the paradigm of the moment, and then they dominate your thinking. So who's got better striking? If we keep going down that road, what we do is narrow the what we're looking at. Yes. Well, this guy's got better striking because he defeated this guy. But this guy's a higher level boxer because he trains with this, and it becomes all we can discuss. And then we say, well, this guy's a black belt under this, so that means he's got better. And we start narrowing and narrowing and narrowing. And, you, and I started to feel extremely frustrated by this a few years back. And I actually started openly discussing that this was a problem. I didn't have an answer for it. I didn't know the answer, but it starts by recognizing that there's an issue. The issue is we are all saying the same things in a world where we could say anything. We're all just saying what Joe Rogan said. And that's not only not a knock at Joe, that is a compliment to Joe. Joe's so compelling that his individual educated perspective, people start to think is the perspective. Right. Joe's, what Joe sees is what one smart man sees. If you lined up a thousand smart men and women, they would all see different things. If you had them all in a vacuum in a different room saying different things, they would each come up with something. But because Joe is so compelling, that man's individual perspective became the perspective. So everyone started discussing it. I became very frustrated about this a few years back. So what I realized had to happen was I had to be able to, to purge that paradigm, those paradigms from my mind. And I knew that what that meant was for a year or two, I would get less good at my job. I would get a ton of pushback 
I would get made fun of. I would have people say I'm not saying anything because they wouldn't understand what, what it is I'm getting. That guy's saying nothing. He talks a lot and he says nothing. Like Literally, some people can listen to us discuss this now as you give an educated example of how somebody in the 50s changed the way that art was perceived. And they could literally look and say, those guys aren't saying anything because they don't connect to it, right? So I go. I went through this a lot for a year and a half, but I just knew it was worth it. I knew that if you're going to break through a plateau, it's going to be painful and stressful. So I started to turn off all commentary, even the great commentary, even Joe, uh, especially Joe, because Joe is so good. Uh, and and I started turning on. I started not responding to questions that were normal. Who gets a title shot? Uh, is this guy the greatest of all time? There were these only these six and seven paradigms. Who's better on the ground? You know, the conversations, the ones that we're all having, and this isn't a flaw of ours. This is actually a beautiful thing about humanity. We have mirror neurons that play in our mind that help us emulate things that work. You know, our ancestors saw somebody stick a stick down the ant hole and then they did it and they ate ants and they could eat, right? This is what we do. So, and that is a function of being a human. I had to turn that off and I had to ignore it and I had to walk away from it. It was very difficult. It's very difficult. And now, not less difficult for me because it doesn't bother me if I know that I'm pursuing something worthwhile. Even if it fails, the journey is worthwhile. It doesn't bother me to make, to be mocked or, you know, or um, ridiculed or any of that. That's part of the, that's part of the trip. But so what happened over time was, I realized that we were in a game of opinion, right? The opinion. Now, you know, we can put any two very smart, very compelling people on a desk. We'll put Brendan Schaub and we'll put Dominic Cruz. And we'll say, who's got better striking? Those two men will give their opinion. Smart men, Dominic educated Cruz. men. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. exactly. But if we ask those two about, you know, Nate Diaz and, right. and Jorge Masvidal, like literally, Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal represented something very different. Nobody, it didn't make any sense to say, who's a better boxer? Who's better at jiu-jitsu? Who's a better wrestler? Because all of a sudden, we understood that there was much more at play here. Mm-hmm. Who's the better man? Who's got more in him? Who has prepared in different ways? Who can handle the pre- Like, it became all these human attributes. But, so we started doing opinions. And over time, what I realized, the goal became, have no opinion for as long as humanly possible. And that breakthrough was the biggest breakthrough for me to study things differently. People will say to you, you know, um, who's going to win this fight? You, if, once you form an opinion, you will start to look for things to prove that opinion to yourself. Somebody will say, who's the greatest of all time? You'll form an opinion. And you'll start saying things to, to prove that opinion to yourself and disprove right. somebody else. You'll start to narrow your thinking. If what you do, it's called negative capability. You resist the urge to come to a conclusion or <laughs> form an opinion for as long as humanly possible. I love you it. get comfortable yeah. in that uncertainty. Yes. Once you're comfortable in that uncertainty, and instead of forming opinions, you say, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this, what does this mean? Actually, what's that play here? It can't be that, but it could, and you just keep going on and on and on. Eventually, you, you make massive breakthroughs, right? The game that we've done, the language that they use in every UFC broadcast and every Bellator broadcast and every NBA, NFL broadcast and on CNN, 
is a game of opinions. We all are entitled to opinions. Mm -hmm. Nobody's saying don't have them. What I am saying is for yourself, not for the discussion, not for the argument, for yourself, fight, be comfortable in the uncertainty, the duality of things. The longer you do that, the more you understand, the more questions you have. Right. Nobody should ever be, you can do anything you want to do. But if you're really studying something as beautifully complex as art or movement or martial arts, nobody Nobody should be standing somewhere authoritatively saying anything. The second you do, you don't, you stop, you shut down your own ability to learn. And so I stopped doing that. One thing I was going to say, Robin, is like I, I, on the way over here today, on the way to the studio today, I was listening to one of your colleagues whose uh, analysis I, had, I enjoy very much. I subscribe to his YouTube channel because I enjoy listening to it. Um, and this is also a person who um, does pre-fight shows. And then when they do post-fight shows, they often go through their predictions from the pre-fight show in order to see, you know, basically to keep score and, and, and go through, you know, how they were right or wrong about their predictions. So one of the things I think is really brave about what you do, especially for people out there who are in the art world, you know, and maybe not the biggest combat sports fans, what we're talking about when you say oh, withhold your opinion for as long as possible in order to learn, you're talking about something that's literally antithetical to the way that your job has been done for decades. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, exactly. And, and I knew that was going to be challenging. <laughs> it, would be. Like, it still would be when, uh, and now, the, my main, you know, television broadcasting job right now, where I'm in, a, in an environment uh, wearing a suit on a lit set, is TSN. And it's very forward-thinking, and they're very open-minded, and they're trying to change constantly. And I love the people I work with. And they're cool with me. Like, they'll say, look, I, I, they know that, that I've said this. If you really need a prediction from me, if this is important, I'll give you one. Um, but here's my belief about that now. So, and they've been cool, but if, if, you know, if the part of my Bellator work, somebody said, let's go to the desk, you know, we'd like to have you on the desk this week. I would be thrilled to do it. But when I sat down with the producer to say, look, man, I'm telling you that predictions are nonsensical and they damage the audience's ability. They hinder and stunt the audience's ability to understand <laughs> what they're watching and to continue to learn. They'd look at me like I was crazy and say, just do it. And I would probably do it. I would probably do it knowing that that's my job in a world of people having to make massive sacrifices to have a job. I've got one that I love. And if my only sacrifice is going against an instinct because that may be wrong, that may be wrong, then no problem. But listen, two things. One is a, a very good man from a very good online magazine asked me the other day for Jorge Masvidal versus, uh, versus Nate Diaz. If I would make a prediction, so I'm going to read you. I'm going to see if I can find it. I want to say his name because he's a good dude and there's not, there's not nothing against him. <laughs> right, of course, of course. Um, at all. Like, and, uh, but I may not find Oh, there it is. Uh, so it was, and this is not, again, not disrespectful. This is just a conceptual thing for me. Uh, you know, each person is picking. So he was like, we need to, we're, we're going to feature 10 or so top, you know, people in the field. Now, we can have a conversation about what is an analyst later, if you like, but analyst, um, journalist, whatever in the field. 
Each person is picking a winner, method of victory, sub-TKO decision, and round if applicable. Then they're doing a little mini breakdown to explain why they're making your pick. Sound good? And then he was like, and so I wrote back, well, you know, these types of things are mechanisms that we've done in television and writing for many years, decades really, as mechanisms to create conversation, but they're not real. They're nonsensical. Yeah. Uh, sidebar. Uh, whoever you are talking about, please don't tell me their name. Um, <laughs> whoever you were talking about, you watch their pre and post stuff. How over time, even if you're right 68% of the time, which would be massive, how over time your reaction wouldn't be, wait a second, predictions are fucking stupid. As you keep doing your post fights and saying, well, this is wrong and this, like, maybe they will after 100 of those or maybe 200. But conceptually thinking, it's like, why do I do this? I do this because this is what we've always done. Why has it always been done? Because people weren't as educated about what's happening in the old days. They were, you know, someone came up with this as a television mechanism and it became an institution. It became a ritual. Yeah. Why are we doing it? Yeah. So I said, I said, um, yeah, I, I don't do it, but, you know, I can do a little uh, now sort of a little written thing. And then they came back and said, well, you know, it's not an actual prediction. It won't really fit the article. And I was like, that's totally cool. Totally get it. No problem. Totally understand. But to me, and, you know, let's say I didn't look who they were, but let's say the 10 people they gathered were people who have never trained in martial arts ever in their life and interview fighters or coaches for a living to get quotations about what they do or don't do. Why the fuck on earth we would want somebody with a, in that arena to predict this bizarrely chaotic, unpredictable moment, like it, it makes zero yeah. sense yes. in the grand scheme of let's make something meaningful to impact people in some positive way. What it, but anyway, so I wrote, this is what I wrote. One of the myriad of reasons that a fighter like this, that a fight like this is so wonderfully special is the truth that we do not possess the ability to imagine what it will look like. A top-level martial arts contest like this is essentially a dynamic between two highly trained brains expressing appropriate movements in their own bodies while manipulating the thoughts, the emotions, the very nervous system of their opponent. To our eyes, we see chaos, but chaos is simply patterns we do not yet understand. To the specialized neurology of these fighters, flowing in combat in a physiologically altered state, it is a playfully violent expression of self. What we're likely to see in these sacred moments is two individuals who have trained their bodies and minds for a lifetime in search of mastery, coming together in a cage for an elegantly vulgar display of heart, courage, will, and skill that will inspire us all. Birds fly fish swim, and Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal fight men in cages. Let's put them together and enable them to do what they were put on earth to do, fight each other. <laughs> now, what that is, not that, not that it's a game, that, that there's any meaningful way that we need to compare. We all have different purposes. The article could literally be somebody saying, I got to write it out. I got an article together. Let's do this. So it's, I got 17 articles I got to put together this week. Let's just whip up a predictions article. It could be any number of things. Yeah. But what I'm, I, and I'm a guy who has spent most of his life studying arts and martial arts language and communication in a way to try to make sense of what we're seeing. I got in a cage nine times to do it. And since that day, I have combed it in detail, peeling layer after layer. If I'm telling you, it cannot be 
meaningfully predictive, uh, then why don't you believe me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ultimately. Well, like, ultimately. And that brings us back to a different conversation where, you know, the conversation that, that like, expertise is a real thing. That if we study anything for another 10 or 20,000 hours, we will be, learn to know it more. And I've done that. Um, but at the same time, we live in a free society where there's many reasons people share ideas and many reasons people try to, you know, make a television show or a digital piece or a piece of writing. So, so that is what that is. Yeah. Well, so, you know what, what I think is interesting too, is that, um, you know, there's, there's this common, uh, line of inquiry that the media has with fighters and coaches to say every single time they'll, they'll ask, you know, what has this fighter been doing or what have you been doing to, you know, what new wrinkles have you added to your game or what have you been working on or what have you been developing, right? Yep. At the same time, yep. I, I just find it ironic or strange that the, the media themselves that are refusing to evolve and to be as naturally inquisitive about their own craft and to sense l- less boundaries around their craft and to explore more areas are the same people that are pressing people or criticizing even uh, fighters for having not evolved or that the game has passed them by or, you know, yeah. all this kind of narrative. Well, that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing. Like if you've never, if you've never, you know, acted in a movie, uh, you're not qualified to really um, criticize acting. And by criticize, I mean like not just say negative things. I mean like critique it. Yeah. And, and that's, that doesn't mean you can't critique the feelings you got by watching that actor. Of course you can. If what you're critiquing is, I didn't enjoy this, or I didn't feel these feelings, or I didn't buy it, of course you can do that. But what you cannot do is say, he wasn't a good actor. He, he was unprepared. Yeah. Like, you don't know how acting works. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so it's the same thing. Like, that's, that's another one. It's like, you can't, you should not, or it's offensive if you truly never competed in something to criticize the fighter. And of course, as fans, we can do that because, you know, that is a different relationship. We're a fan. We paid money. But if, if you are like supposed to be, to be, you know, discussing the quality of what somebody does with a, with a, a, a lifetime of training and skill, but you don't actually understand how any of that works. And that's, that's a weird one too, because yeah. people feel like you're, you're insulting them, but it's like, of course you don't know how it works. It's one <laughs> of the fucking scariest things on earth. And if you haven't felt the fear and the anxiety and the pressure, which is 90% of the experience and the experience is 90% of the knowledge, you cannot, you do not have the capacity to do this, right? Yeah. Like for, if you have never fought, and I don't mean one time, I only fought nine times. Again, my feeling after fighting nine times and learning the amount that I learned in nine times, what I got from that was I have only fought nine times at a low level. And because I've gathered enough from that, what I learned from that was I'm not qualified to really critique what John Jones is doing because I only have nine fights. I only was a professional fighter at a low level for five years. I only trained 11 times a week, yeah. wait nine times. I only did it nine times. Yeah. It's not enough. What I learned after five 
was that I need to do more. And what I learned after nine is I don't know anything. So if I don't know anything after nine, yeah. how the fuck can you know anything when what you do is watch fighting as one of the sports you watch? Yeah. You know, it's not, it's, it's illogical, right? It's illogical. But, but we live in a world, and this isn't just martial arts. We're living in a world where people who don't understand how politics work tell people who to to believe in or yeah. who to follow. People who don't understand how media works critique media. This is what we do. And it goes back again. I'm not saying nobody's allowed entitled to an opinion, but what I am saying is if they resist the urge to, to form one for as long as possible, they'll learn way, way, way more about that topic. Einstein, you know how he came up with the theory of relativity? He stayed in that state of uncertainty with not understanding how and why two moving, uh, two things move, one moving and one at rest could see light the same way and trying to deal with that problem. He stayed in a state of uncertainty for 10 fucking years to be able to find that, the, the, the theory of relativity. Yeah. That negative capability, he embraced it for 10 years of his life. That's how he did it. This, it's the secret to changing how you see the world, is trying to resist forming an opinion for as long as humanly possible. Not for somebody else, and not because you're not entitled to it, because you owe it to yourself to think. I think that part of it, too, is that... Um you know, the, the sport itself has been on this quest for uh, a particular type of legitimacy for, for, for you know, a couple of decades or more. And, and so I think that in order to ascribe that kind of legitimacy to the sport, especially in the earlier days, uh, I think that people were trying to put conventional sort of tropes of broadcasting sensibility around it to sort of put it into a, a familiar uh, language for people to sort of move into as a new thing. But I think that we're at this fulcrum point now where legitimacy has been had. It's, it's I mean, you're on like, you know, every, you know, this is, this is global. This is ESPN. This is TSN. This is everything. Thing, right like it's there's not this legitimacy battle i don't think so much anymore and so i think that what i'm interested in is uh how people are sort of turning the page and going okay we don't have to have hundred yeah we don't have to have this imposter imposter syndrome anymore like we're there well beyond that it's it is uh first of all what we think is professional changes. If you talk to somebody who works, say, at the UFC or the, you know, the NFL or, or you know, CNN or any of these, like, mainstream things, broadcasting things, they will say, you know, and you say, why do they speak this way? Why do we use this camera angle? Why are they wearing a suit? This is fighting. Should they be wearing it? Like, what, what are we doing? They will say, it's more professional. But that's the wrong word. It's more formal. Formal was once professional. Now, professional is cool YouTubers. Formal was once, don't say, don't swear, make sure you, you say things a certain way, talk like Dan Rather. Now, um, and that was once professional. But now professional is, Joe Rogan's fucking fight companion is professional. They are smoking weed and swearing and, and talking about crazy shit. And why is it professional? Because people, that's what they see. It's, we've seen this a thousand times. Like, you know, when punk rock came out, 
bands that were like hog rock bands were like, this isn't professional, this isn't slick, right. this isn't high quality production. <laughs> they talked about it as if the quality was the issue. It's like, who the fuck decides what quality is? Is, is the Sex Pistols lower quality than Journey? It's less formal. It's less heavily produced in a ritualistic way to smooth out all the edges. But you're living in a world where they like the smooth edges. Like, not to criticize, because I, I, I analyze the UFC happily in Canada and I enjoy it. But why? Well, and they're the biggest. And I analyze Bellator and I travel around and I love it. And they are not <laughs> a very clo- a close second and closing all the time. I work. On one chapter, I work with these bigger ones, but why is why are people suddenly watching bare knuckle boxing? Why are they interested in that way? Why is Muay Thai bigger now than it was? Because the people who originally were attracted to the UFC were early adopters. They were fringe people. They liked different. They liked weird. They liked edgy. They liked scary. They liked informal. They liked flashy. They liked you know dangerous. You know, you watch the UFC on Fox, or you watch you know, Bellator on on um, uh, uh, Paramount, or you watch a uh, one championship broadcast. These things are anything but. So what happens? While we're so busy feeding the um, what they call the casual viewer, and now I have an argument as to whether or not that actually exists or it's a real concept, mm-hmm. but while you're <laughs> feeding the casual viewer, to do it, you have to one, dumb it down, Two, smooth out all the the, uh, the the rough edges. Three, clean it up, et cetera, et cetera. What do you get from that? You get growth. But what don't you get? Reality, legitimacy, edginess. You're, you lose your cool. Mm-hmm. You suddenly aren't cool. So people looking for cool. Dave LaDuke's really fucking cool right now. Even Jorge and Nate. Jorge and Nate were cool because they, they broke outside of the obvious paradigm. They're not acting the way these quote, professional athletes are taught to act. They're not right. speaking the way they're, they speak. In fact, they're, uh, Nate in particular is, is saying fuck you to the man a lot. Totally. I mean, all of these things are happening because we've gone too far that way. And maybe it wasn't too far, but the world itself changes. Right. People's perspective changes. We all change. Right. We, television, we used to like Law and Order, that TV show. <laughs> that was shitty. They had right? nine versions that of that sucks. TV show. It was so, it was so yeah. popular. Yeah, that, that show sucks, right? <laughs> we, used to like, we used to like Survivor. Right? Now you look at that, that's stupid. And so this happens, right? And there's no reason this can't happen with McDonald's, Coke, Nike, the UFC. It does happen. Nothing's too big to fail. In fact, when they get big, sometimes that is their very vulnerability. Is we're talking about different language and different perspective and different ideas and shit. They can't do that. It's harder to turn a big boat around than it is to turn a canoe around. So this so and that also allows whether it's an individual like me making videos or a small show like a bare knuckle boxing show, it gives us space and it gives us an audience who's been sitting around going, you know what, this all feels a little too formal to me. Yeah. And th- and this all feels a little too structured, a little too ritualistic. Right. And then the next thing you know, there's space for, for, for sure. YouTubers and there's space for, you know, shit, half a billion people have watched my one minute breakdowns just done in Twitter. You know, how, that, how's that possible? That's crazy. We found like, you know, like with, with our, with the art fight podcast, like we, we found it wasn't so much like trying to break a mold, but it was trying to sort of like stake out a space that no one else was uh, bothering to 
care about really. And we were sort of like, there's this whole discussion that nobody's having that we wanted to, you know, help to curate and foment. And uh, so for us, it was a little bit of a pioneering thing, just in the sense of like hope, hoping to find a unique angle on things. Um, and I think, I think. Well, what, what, let me interrupt you there because ahead. that's not what that isn't what you're doing. <laughs> okay. Because yeah. if, it, if it was what you were doing, uh, you'd have already stopped. It's not because, now you may have also recognized that there was a space and that your perspective was rare, but you didn't do it because there was a space. You did it because this is what you're interested in. You can't right. fake a conversation about a 1950s art movement. You, know what I mean? <laughs> like, you can't do that just right. because there's a space, like just because this is, you're doing it because, because this is what you do and this is what you love. Right. And uh, and the fact that you also looked at it and said, hey, you recognize like so a diamond. Why is a diamond? Yeah. You know, why is a diamond valuable? Right. right? A diamond is valuable because it's scarce. Right. Right. So you recognize that your perspective was scarce. Yeah. But it was still I mean, shit. but you're also the reason you have a, an audience and the reason people want to talk to you is because there's lots. In fact, there is lots of people who are thinking like you. There is lots of people who see fighting not as a not as just a television sport because television sports aren't super cool right now. It's an art form. It's it's story. It's history. It's philosophy. It's lessons to the universe. It's it's all of these things, you know. And and so you did it because this is who you guys are. Number one. Now number two, you were encouraged because when you thought about it, you were like, hey, wait a second, this is what we're into, and nobody else seems all that into it, so let's do it. And then three, you were double encouraged because it turned out there were people who gave a shit you're, about you're it. There completely, were who, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. completely, you're completely, uh, you know, you, you're breaking my own my own podcast down better than I did. <laughs> uh, but let me, I wanted to say something to you about this though. Like you, you just mentioned like when you were talking about innovation and all this kind of stuff and talking about what's cool and what used to be cool and what's cool now. And many times it's, it is the thing that innovates and the thing that changes that ends up being the thing that's cool. And you just mentioned your friend, Dave LaDuke, who uh, is a letway champion and um, who was just recently on Joe Rogan. And to me, the fact that that guy has gotten such a higher profile. I mean, I, I give a lot of the credit specifically to you because I didn't even know what that sport yeah. was, let alone who he was. And now I feel like it's, you know, among, among MMA enthusiasts, we understand what that's sport is and we know who one of the rock stars are now yeah well duh. yeah he's the guy right and so it's really interesting well thank you i to to think that that i played any kind of role in making people discover this brilliant thousand year old bare knuckle you know burmese martial art with headbutts uh, in the <laughs> west is like just the nicest shit you could say to me <laughs> um but uh but not only did i become into i mean i'm a connoisseur right like i'm super into if it's if who likes to try the, the newest wines first? Well, the wine connoisseurs, the ones who are, you know, trying everything and they're aware of how it all works and they're, they've gotten all the history and you're just, that's who you become, right? So it's logical that I took an interest in it. Then Dave, so let me, let me actually phrase this another way. As I got there to, to um, Myanmar, and I started really digging into it. And, you know, I had already been studying Dave and studying the, the art form for a year or a year and a half. I'd done a breakdown at least a year, maybe 18 months earlier on Dave, and then a subsequent one since when I got to know him. Once I got there, I started to already be able to see exactly how people were going to become aware of it. And I was telling the, you know, the people that worked there and like the other 
uh, stakeholders in in Letway, in the World Letway Championships, I said, this is how it's going to go. At first, people are going to be attracted to the headbutt. They're like, what? You can have headbutts? <laughs> then they're going to hear about Dave. And then they're going to find him interesting. They're going to, because he's a character, it's also easier to sell basketball when you've got a LeBron James. And it's easier for people, you know, you name the sport or art, Kurt Cobain and grunge, it doesn't matter, right? There's always, when you've got somebody there that leads it, that's great. Then they're going to discover him. Then they're going to be interested in Myanmar because it's this beautiful place. Then they're going to hear it's a thousand years old and they're going to be into the history. And in that process, the real, the, the influencers in it, Joe Rogan being, of course, the biggest, are going to catch on before everybody else. And they'll do it in that order. And I literally watched it happen. I, I told these guys that's how it go. that I'm watching and people are uh, linking me to clips from the great fucking Joe Rogan. Uh, who I love, by the way. It's just nobody has had a bigger influence and helped me more. Um, and Joe's like, hey, have you guys seen this? And he's showing Brendan and whoever else. He's like, look at this, this fucking headbutt. And Joe's <laughs> talking about headbutts. Then he's talking about the details of the headbutt. So then, he, then the next, he's like, you seen this guy, Dave LaDuke? And he literally, <laughs> probably a year before the, everyone on the, on the back end, does it exactly how you predict. And, it, and it's not some fucking magical power. It's just very logical. You know, we live in a world where things are shared easily, and the and the connoisseurs, Joe again being the biggest, he will get exposed to it, and he'll be like, "Holy fuck, this is different. This is uh, they got headbutts." And then, hey, have you seen this David Duke guy? And then, man, Myanmar, like, isn't that crazy? That dude, this is a thousand years old. It's bare knuckle, and you start to see the knowledge unfold. And by the time you've seen two and three and four of these events or you've seen a bunch of Dave's fights, or you've seen some of the historic stuff, and you're hooked. Now you're curious. There's a thousand years of history to look up. Holy, and now you're, you're hooked, right? And this is, it was definitely, it was a hard experience going over there. Very hard. The travel, with, the travel coming back was 38 hours oh. alone. It was like, like hot, 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 sweating, being stung by mosquitoes, walking between airports like, domestic airports in, in uh, Myanmar. Um, but it, uh, and then I was in the Hong Kong airport for like 12 hours, like days before it was shut down. Like it was wild, but, but it was worth every, every inch of it because you know, I'm sitting there, the, the best in the world at this thing has got an American that's come over. I'm embedded around these people. I'm embedded around the martial artists. I'm embedded around the coaches. I'm embedded around the historians. And I'm sitting beside the ring on the other side of the world and there's this orchestra pit, and it's designed with gems and, and like dragons and all this stuff. And there's musical instruments I've never heard playing a thousand year old song. And I, I said, What is that song for the broadcast? Can you tell me? And they're like, It's called Let Way Song. I'm like, well, <laughs> is there another name? They're like, If so, it was forgotten 600 years ago. Wow. Like it's a, and that's what it's called. And they would play it, and then these guys would fight in this beautiful way that really my whole life has been, has been preparing me to be able to interpret and explain how that one element of the head not only changes the, the game itself, but changes every other strike, cha changes the tactics, changes the mindset, changes the speed, changes everything, and be able to interpret that for people. I was sitting there at that time, and I was thinking, any setback I've ever had in my life, um, a television network I worked for, shutting down production, you know, things going weird where, you know, I, I thought I was working for the UFC at one point and then I wasn't. Any of these things that any setback I've ever had, 
all led to sitting here doing this, what I was put on earth to do. You yeah. know, it was incredible. It was incredible. I love that. I love that your, your, your ability to uh, suspend the need for certainty and the, the need to continuously explore and not see hindrances as the, the you know, uh, the the world hates you, right? Like this is something where it's like, this is just you experiencing the broader picture of what is your path. And I think that a lot of people that are in creative realms uh, in any capacity wrestle with a lot of these these things. And so I love that, you, like your stories are much more interesting. Uh, you know, uh, airports, uh, mosquitoes, uh, Hong Kong riots. Like your stories are much more interesting than perhaps like a you know, a, a, a painter or a photographer in his lonely studio just trying to suss out his next concept. But, but it, all, it all relates and it all ties in together. And, and uh, I just, uh, I, you know, of all the people that are, that are doing this, you know, I, I feel like that, you know, I, I think I've even referred to you before as like the, uh, you're like sort of the Sun Ra of MMA commentary. Um, you know, uh, you know <laughs> and uh, even though I know your background's a little bit more metal than that, uh, um, but you know, but yeah, even like your music career and all the things like you, all that stuff is things, you know, we've talked about that before, like how you brought all that forward. So I just love that you're able to sort of reconcile the past quickly, be in the present and be open to the future. And I can't, uh, tell you enough how much we're grateful for, for having you, uh, on our show and for being a friend of the podcast now, yeah. right? Right, Joe? Officially, and, officially. And, and uh, you know, um, you know, I, 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 I wanted to sort of one last little quick question and then I want to let you go because I know you don't have a lot of time. Um, I'm always curious about, and I've done a lot of studying in my life about uh, sort of copyright law and how it affects art and creativity and sampling culture and fine art and Robert Rauschenberg's collages and just God knows like copyright and art yeah. uh, have been at odds or partnerships in strange ways for a long time. And we're, you know, copyright laws, you know, for those who don't know is based on laws that were uh, created in what the, the 18th century, 17th century, right. whatever, when the printing press was was invented so we're we're operating on very crude um sort of uh arcane uh laws that really have a drastic effect on the digital world and i think that you know for those who don't know uh you know you've you've been uh sort of your one minute breakdowns as you said as you said have been listened or watched you know uh, a million trillion times but that's all had to be built and done outside of having access to the ufc footage for you know reasons that are uh more complex i know than you care to explain or relive but i guess i'm just curious about sort of uh your your relationship with sort of copyrighted material as it relates to sort of your message and your thinking and and I really appreciate your positive outlook on it and I just would like to hear more from you about sort of where you are with that right now. Yeah, well, I think one copyright law, yes, is at odds with art, but I think beyond that, I think business often in general is at odds with art. Um, business's motivation is to make money, more money or spend less money. Uh, art's motivation is art, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. So, so say using the UFC as the prime example, the NFL is the same, and, there's, and I think Disney is the same, I think WWE is the same, there's many like this. What they do is they make, they make a deal uh, to, to sell, exclu give exclusivity, sell exclusivity for lots of money to some other entity. 
in UFC's case, it might be ESPN. In WWE's case, it might be Fox, or it might be them themselves. And so in doing so, they make money, but they have to defend that partnership. So that's why this exists. They say, okay, okay, ESPN, or okay, Fox, or Disney's corporations, whatever, give us $10, $20, 50000000 million a year, and we'll make sure that you get the exclusivity. And then they make a deal, and they have to protect them. In protecting them, what happens? And you wonder, because there's also the modern element to it. You wonder. As they were all sitting around entertaining it, were they going, well, it's $50 million on this side, but on, if we make a deal with Fox or the ESPN or whoever. But, but to do that, we have to turn allies into enemies. We have to take down the, the Instagram pages of fans. We have to stop the natural organic sharing of art based around our work, which should, and, you know, did they weigh it? And I don't know the answer to that. But ultimately, what they've decided, that company, the UFC and the NFL and many others have decided, no, we think it's more valuable to us to take the money from the partner than it is to have this share naturally and allow this organic relationship between our audience and our, and our art. Uh, and so that's what it is. And so I accept it. And, uh, you know, at first I struggled with it. And in fact, when I looked into it, the truth is in a situation for me in an in a entity like this is they are infringing on my rights. What I am doing is considered fair use. Because 100%. I'm taking something and I'm repurposing it. So even under those ancient copyright laws, what I am doing is fair use. They are incorrectly using their power to stifle my rights. But... The only way you prove that is by spending lots of money and fighting that in court. And I don't want that to be my life. I don't want my life. My life's making art. My life's not winning some evangelical battle in court about, mm. you know, or never mind winning, fighting it. Like, that's that's no way to live. Right. Um, and that's, you know, I, I would like to leave, a, you know, 5,000, 10,000, 15 more thousand pieces of analysis, write some books you know, pull some knowledge from studying martial arts that affects my life and other people's lives. I don't want to fight in court forever. So you just say, forget it. Right. And then you start to examine other things. But it was a perfect trending for that, too, because, again, you're hitting this period where there's so much interesting stuff in the world. You know, people, I like craft beer. I don't like Budweiser. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh -huh. And that's how we all feel about martial arts right now, too. Not all, but many of us were starting to explore these different types of martial arts, these different shows, these different these different styles, these different historic environments, these modern environments. That's what we're exploring. And so it suited me really well. It ended up suiting me really well. You know, I still I'm still human. There's a person or two in that corporation that I'm mad at because they did that. They chose to do that. But then there's other people like Dana and Joe and other people in there that I love and sure. and I love analyzing it on on television in Canada and I love the fighters and I love the fights so you just kind of move on like I, I believe in acceptance right. the only way you can live is you accept the reality and then you work within it 100%. that's the reality and so also it has led to many many great things I've discovered many different kinds of things I've had to think differently I've had to work differently I've had to examine things differently I've grown as an artist you know as a result of it so I also thank it I'm right. also thankful for it but but and at the same time, somebody sent me this message the other day. They're like, isn't it crazy? Once upon a time, you did these brilliant analysis, and that was their words, not mine. Uh, these analysis videos 
of martial arts all over the world, and now you do all of it except the UFC. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I do. I right? think you know the thing. So, I think the, the the thing I think is interesting, like from an outside perspective, is that you know you you know I saw the work you used to do um, uh, on the um, I can't remember what was the name of the network you did with Ram Dean. What was what was the name of that uh, network? Yeah, yeah, Fight Network. The Fight Network. That's where I first Fight, discovered yeah. you, and I would see you, you know, just you know, straight up, you know, breaking down the fights and things like that. And then when you got to this point where you were no longer able to use the UFC stuff after you were already doing your own thing. Uh, I thought it was amazing the way you were able to pivot and all of a sudden it's like, I can just do any other fights and any other kind of combat, boxing, you know, yeah. uh, kickboxing, yeah. uh, mixed martial arts, you know, jujitsu. You're even like, you know, uh, wilderness animal fighting and you still nail yeah. it and people love it and you get thousands of likes on, you know, two gorillas fighting for dominance because at the end of the day, what's really valuable and what's really interesting and what's really entertaining and funny is your commentary the rest of it is there to sort of facilitate it but to me it, it really it really gave you an opportunity to transcend you know the 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 expected thing and and i think you you uh you answered the call to that brilliantly because you could have just you know yeah. s- cried and scampered away but you 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 yeah. rose to the occasion like crazy and um uh and I, I really think that 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 kind of adaption adaptation is like indicative of the kind of thing that we celebrate the most in fighting and, and and you were emblematic of that in the way you handled that situation and Robin you were incredibly polite and thoughtful and kind to be with us today we're, we're almost to the one hour mark and I know you've yeah. got to get running so um, uh, thanks again for being on the show we always want to have you uh, on when we can get you we want to host you in our beautiful new studio in Nashville sometime dude we're, when we're in Nashville I am 100% coming to your studio I cannot wait um, <laughs> my wife and I have entertained the idea of of uh, a road trip to Nashville. So if that happens in the spring, I'm coming over. Awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah. We'll take care of you, man. And, uh, you know, thanks again for everything. And, uh, you know, it's always an honor. And, um, you know, we won't make you do this too often, but we are going to have to have you uh, back again. So be prepared. Yeah, I want to do it before the end of the year. Before the end of the year. <laughs> but, uh, but I know. Then I'll be good friends with the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the hostilities, my friend. Okay, guys, I love the Art Fight podcast, and I listen to every episode even though I am a robot trying to sound like an actual person. I know it takes a lot to keep the podcast going. How can I help? Go to anchor.fm forward slash artfightpodcast. Click on the button, the big old button that says support this podcast. And once you get there, you'll have three options. You can just choose the lowest level. You're going to pledge 99 cents a month to to our production and and help us out. Again, anchor.fm forward slash artfightpodcast. Click on support this podcast. All right. Thanks, everyone.